Good morning. Uh, today we'll be reading Luke chapter 1, 26 through 56. For those that would like to follow along in the Pew Bible, you can find this on page 855. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt with joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. (laughs) And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. Thank you, Catherine. There's no greater story ever told 
than this one that we're looking at in Luke 1 and 2. If it is true, then there is none more awesome and world-changing. The incarnation. God enters the world in the flesh through the womb of a virgin. You know, we often refer to the virgin birth as if that's the miracle, but by the account, aside from it taking place in a stable amongst animals, it was fairly natural. It's the virgin conception that's the miracle. That's what is being foretold here by Gabriel. The theologian J.I. Packer calls the virgin conception the mysterious miracle at the heart of historic Christianity. And as amazing, as awesome as it is, remember who is writing the account. Dr. Luke, the physician. One who would scrutinize the evidence, who researched it, who heard the eyewitness reports and testimonies and is now reporting these details as fact. He does not argue for them, he presents them in this orderly account that he sets forward for the great Theophilus, the beloved of God. We gather today also the beloved of God. Some of you are fully aware of that blessing of God's grace poured upon you. Others need to be reminded of that this morning. That God loves you deeply and pursues you and his grace is going to be poured out upon you. That's his desire. And for many here, I would assume that this portion of scripture is familiar. Heard many times at this time of year, perhaps. Maybe there would be some who are hearing it for the first time. I pray that we would all hear it with virgin ears. I couldn't resist. But in seriousness, speak to us, Lord. Give us sharp ears and soft hearts and the humility and faith to do what you ask. Gabriel hadn't appeared, at least from our record, on the earth for 500 years since he appeared to Daniel. So he was well-rested, and he came first to Jerusalem, to the temple, and spoke to Zechariah. Now he's being sent to Nazareth, about 100 miles away. So he's up for the journey from the city to the country, from the magnificent temple that Herod built, laden with marble and gold, to what was likely a lowly brick-and-mud home. From the home of a princess to the home of a pauper. But one thing remains the same, as we pointed out last week. God chooses the lowly and the least likely to pour out his grace and bless in the most remarkable ways. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that. So be encouraged as we sit in this humble chapel on this little hill, as you sit wondering, who are you for God to see? The Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1, Verse 26 and following, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We see that storyline throughout Scripture, and that should give us hope. God's amazing grace on the weak and the meek and the undeserving, on the orphans and the widows, the outcasts and the no-names. Nazareth was Nowheresville. Until, until we get to this New Testament account, Nazareth doesn't even show up on the radar. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Talmud, the Jewish religious writings. It's not mentioned by Josephus, the great Jewish historian. It's as if it didn't exist. And yet the greatest spiritual event, arguably, in all of history, maybe save the crucifixion and resurrection, but without the incarnation, those don't come, happens in Nazareth. This will be like saying the greatest spiritual event in this millennia happened in Thorpe. (laughs) And you say, where exactly? And then you think, Thorpe, Thorpe. You know, come to think of it, I think I passed through there once on my way to somewhere else, which is always true of Thorpe. It's never a destination, just like Nazareth. Blink and you're going to miss it. Nathaniel in John chapter 1, when he heard that this promised Messiah has come from Nazareth, he, said, he scorns Nazareth. What good could come from Nazareth? Mary from Nazareth was young. Some scholars believe as young as 12 More likely, middle teens. Think of a 15, 16-year-old girl, betrothed, promised, engaged to Joseph. This is who God chose to be mother of Jesus, a teenage virgin from Nowheresville. This is who God chose to pour out his grace in an incredible way, a way never done before and never to be done again. And this is who God chose to be while on earth in the flesh, the son of a teenage virgin from a small rural village who grew up to be a homeless, vagabond carpenter by all worldly standards. Nobody from nowhere. And it reminds us again, it doesn't matter who you are or who you aren't, what you know or don't know, what you've done or have not done, God not only sees you, he is pursuing you to pour out his grace in an incredible way. He wants to bless you beyond even your imagination or your prayers. He has a purpose for you that's unique from anyone else and yet is so indispensable from the bigger work that God is about. 
In fact, in God's economy, it might be better to be holding a plowshare than a scepter. Those who exalt themselves, God humbles, and those who humble themselves, God exalts. It's His way. And Mary proclaims that in her famous song here, verse 51. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So again, if you find yourself this Advent season feeling overlooked, God sees you. If you find yourself feeling alone, be assured that God is with you. If you feel weak, good. God is strong and may be ready to prove it in a powerful way in your life. If you feel that God is not at work, either in your circumstances or as you look into our world, be very assured that He is. And it's not dependent on our righteousness or our faithfulness or even our perception, but upon God's power and God's grace alone. See, we read stories like this one, and we naturally want to make Mary the great heroine, the holy saint, even setting her apart to a position of worship, as many have throughout the centuries. And not to diminish Mary and her character, which is exemplary, and there's much to learn from her and be convicted by her and how she responded to God's favor and grace. We must, as she does, magnify the God of grace who made her great, the God who blessed her in her lowly estate. This is the emphasis of the greeting from Gabriel. Twice, he says, verse 28, greetings, O favored one. And verse 31, do not be afraid, you have found favor. Karatao, charis, Greek word for grace. Greetings, the one who has found grace from God. Just like Noah, so long before Mary, often Noah is set apart as the only righteous one, the only faithful one in all of the land. But it was God's initiation of grace upon Noah, just as it is upon Mary. His response, the way he lived, exemplary. He had some hiccups and some stumbles as well that remind us of his humanity. But before he was even called out, Genesis 6, verse 5 the Lord looked into the world and saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of men's hearts was only evil continually. No asterisk except Noah. No, Noah included, and his family, and his sons, and all on earth. And God regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. But instead of wiping out everyone, Verse 8 of Genesis 6, but Noah found favor, grace in the eyes of the Lord. God chose to bless this man, to call him and to use him 
to help save and redeem the world in the same way he would continue to do for the least and the last, the unlikely, God makes great and uses in powerful ways as he is now calling Mary. Just as God saw Noah and chose him, he saw Mary and chose her. He sees you, he sees me, and he chooses us to pour out his grace upon As we have that firmly in mind, the response to God's grace is essential. The way we live in response is our worship. And so to not diminish Mary, but to rightly agree with her and her own testimony. If she was here preaching, and wouldn't that be great? But she preaches for us in the song of praise, the famous Magnificat. She preaches the same thing. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What does a magnifying glass do? Does a magnifying glass make the object bigger? No, it does not. It helps to see it more fully, more clearly, in greater detail. It enhances And Mary is seeking to enhance, to make clear who God is, as if she could make him any bigger than he already is, as if we could. But may we magnify him, that others could see him more fully. That's what he's inviting us to do and to be as we're made in his image, to reflect him and to make him known. So we join and agree with Mary, who if Mary was here would say, it's by God's grace alone. He chose me. He saw me in my humble estate. I'm a nobody. And he has blessed me. So as we look to her response, we rightly honor, maybe even convicted of her humility, her joyful obedience, her faith. But she would encourage us. God sees us. God is pouring out his grace upon us, his favor, undeserved in his son Jesus, just as he gave for her. Briefly, she is humble. He has been mindful to the humble estate of his servant. She prays, proclaims. She knew who she was and who she wasn't. We'd be very careful to know who we are and to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. He is God, we are not. A.W. Tozer says in the, in the chapter that the men even read this week and are studying on Tuesday mornings, Tozer says, the whole course of life is upset by failure to put God where he belongs. We exalt ourselves instead of God and the curse then follows. So let the seeking man reach a place where life and lips join to say continually, be thou exalted and a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. I should say that again. Let the seeking man and woman reach a place where life and lips join to say continually, be thou exalted, and a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. This is Mary's heart, and she proclaims it. She is humble. She knows who she is and who she isn't. She is blessed Imagine this, she is blessed. For behold, now, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's overwhelmed by the thought. 
consider that not everyone who received this news would have immediately considered themselves blessed. And it's probably true throughout history that the majority of teenage girls who find that they will be pregnant do not immediately consider themselves blessed. And yet Mary rejoices. Mary would have had to walk the same path, would have had to see the same faces or feel the same sneers of a teenage girl. Now certainly culture was different and girls married much younger and she is betrothed. But for all who didn't believe her story, and even her own fiancé did not believe her story, and he knew her as well as anyone. Imagine what she knew she would have to go through to convince, and as if she could convince others, that the angel Gabriel has made me this promise, and I am pregnant through a miraculous conception. So for all who did not believe that story and would scorn her, shame her, she must have known that to be sure. What she couldn't have known was how difficult the rest of this blessing would be. It almost cost her her marriage until Joseph also was visited and told that in fact Mary was proclaiming the truth as she would watch her son Jesus grow and be nothing but different, as he would be outcast and slandered. We don't know enough about his childhood to know fully what that difference was, but his very brothers certainly didn't believe he was anything other than odd. They certainly did not believe that he was Emmanuel. But even as he began his ministry, And his own mother looked from afar and was greatly concerned, grieved maybe, worried even at at Jesus' safety, maybe even his sanity, as he's being accused of being demon-possessed. And imagine watching your son be arrested, falsely accused, condemned, and ultimately crucified. There's no way that Mary could have known how hard this blessing would have been, though she immediately would have understood the difficulty of sharing that news. And yet, nonetheless, she is overwhelmed and overcome. And it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that not all blessings, not all favor that God pours out on us comes with comforts or ease, as if that was required of the blessings of God. What if some of his greatest Blessings come with tears and sleepless nights. And yet, not only did she consider herself blessed, she rejoiced. Greetings, that word greetings that Gabriel speaks to her could also be translated rejoice. He was calling her to rejoice, and she did. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then she sings one of the most revered songs of praise in history. Her song and her spirit affirm for us what is number one on the list of our core convictions as a church. God's glory 
is my joy. That's what she proclaims. May God be glorified. May he be magnified. And I will rejoice. Whatever it takes, whatever he does, whatever, whatever he determines brings him the greatest glory, I serve that. And I worship him. Third, though Mary responds in humility, she responds with rejoicing, receiving this blessing. Third, she responds with faith, this joyful obedience. She wondered. There's that word that shows up again and again in these couple chapters, and we'll look at it more next week. She wondered. The wonder of the incarnation. The wonder that we should all live with. That's the focus for next Sunday. But she says, how will this be? She wonders. And what we, what we can glean then from, it sounds very similar to the response of Zechariah. How will this be? I give a different tone because I think the response of Gabriel gives evidence of the right reason for that different tone. That Mary responds, how will this be? With a hope-filled or awful wonder. Where Zechariah says, how will this be? I am old and so is my wife. Because Gabriel seemed to get agitated by that and said, okay, that's enough from you. You're not going to speak anymore. You would come to believe soon enough, but shut up and believe now. But to Mary, who says similar words, there must have been a different heart that was perceived because his response is to explain what will come to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. God's power will overshadow you. That's how this will be. What's incredible is that that's the answer to every one of us who prays that same prayer. How, how often have you found yourself praying a prayer like that? How could this be, Lord? And maybe that's in response to his word as you're reading. And it feels like he's speaking to you because his word is living and active. And you look then into your own life and you try to line those up or you look into our world and say, how, how will this be? And it does matter at the heart, doesn't it? The doubting heart versus the hopeful heart. But Lord, how will this be? Maybe it's in response to a promise, some form of dream or vision or uh, an encouragement or word spoken to you or something that you just believe that God was calling you to or leading you to, but now something more recently in your life has shattered that, has broken that. That dream seems to have died. We looked at that last week. What happens when dreams die? Good desires, good dreams. Where is hope then? And maybe in response, you feel lost or empty. You wonder, God, how, how could this be? I was so sure this was your will, and now it seems gone and lost. The same answer that Gabriel gave to Mary, God gives to us. In any kind of hope-filled or even doubting wonder at who God is, what he's promised to do, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit has been sent. The power of God will overcome you. That's his promise. Jesus said it. For all who believe, I will send the Spirit to be with you and to be in you. John 14. At Pentecost, it's seen in the most probably powerful, tangible way. The Holy Spirit poured out upon his church. And now he continues to come in power and in manifest ways, both to individuals who submit and trust, as well as to 
churches who seek him, the Holy Spirit will come. God's desire is to pour out upon all peoples. So ironically, it wasn't only Mary who had Jesus dwell within her, but all who believe. Does that sound incredible? Yes. Impossible? Maybe. Even the strongest faith has to overcome doubts. Even this strong faith that we see in Mary. Gabriel says, look to Elizabeth. And we see she goes in haste. She submits, she trusts, she believes, and yet she goes in haste so that her faith might have roots. Our faith has roots. It's not blind faith. She goes to see Elizabeth, her old relative, to see and maybe even feel the baby bump six months in. How can this be? Maybe not too different than Thomas who said, I need to see, I need to feel, I need to, I need to see those scars to believe. And Jesus said to Thomas, believe. And blessed are those who believe without seeing and touching. But even Mary goes to have roots for her faith. Have you ever been sure of something that God called you to or wanted you to do and in a moment and then, and then in the next day, not so sure. As the days go on, maybe that assuredness faded. That memory lost its clarity. And so Mary goes to be assured of this promise as she wonders, as even this strong faith is mixed with doubts. And I continue to say that maybe one of the most powerful prayers in all of Scripture, you've prayed it, right? Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I think Mary would say the same as she sought for roots for her faith. It's reminiscent, this whole story, just like Zechariah's, I think, of Genesis 18, when Gabriel not only points Mary to Elizabeth, but he says, nothing is impossible for God. Genesis 18, there were three visitors who appeared to Abraham and promised again that he and Sarah would have a son. Sarah overheard, and Sarah laughed. And the one visitor who many believe was Jesus, a Christophany, a Appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Just like Gabriel. Will anything be impossible for God? I wonder if Gabriel was one of the three. Just a thought. Mary's faith in contrast to Sarah's and therefore Zachariah's is pretty significant. And so we rightly honor and maybe are convicted. Lord, help me have that kind of faith. She doesn't laugh. She surrenders. Verse 38, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Surrender, trust, faith. Talk about a humble yet bold prayer. And I found myself asking if I ever pray like this. I am but your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. You pray. And yet I would guess that most of you would respond and, and not enough. 
And that may well be true, but what if it's less about volume than it is about content? When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he didn't preach for an hour. Didn't take all night. He didn't say, well, that's the master's course. We'll get there. He taught them a prayer in 20 seconds. And yet the content was life-altering and world-changing if it was prayed with meaning. Behold, I am but a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I would suggest that this kind of prayer would change our life and perhaps the world if more of God's people would pray it and mean it. Do you pray like this? Reminded again of Tozer's words, let the seeking man reach a place where life and lips join to say continually, be thou exalted, and a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. To press in just a little more, Mary is active in this prayer, not passive. It may sound passive. It could be resigned. And maybe too, a humble heart. Lord, let it be. I'm at the end of myself I give up, I surrender, I am done. Do whatever you want. That may well be worship. That may, be, may well be where we must be before God can rebuild and restore and renew. But I see something different in Mary's prayer here. I see an activity in accordance with the promise of Gabriel. What is she praying? Let it be. May it be to me as you have just said. Faith, she's believing. And what had Gabriel just said, and here's what that prayer means for us, if it is active, not passive, come upon me, Holy Spirit. You said the Holy Spirit would come upon me. May it be, come upon me, Holy Spirit. The power of God will overshadow you. Overshadow me with your power, God. May it be. For your glory, and I will rejoice. I will consider it blessing, even if it is not easy. Incredible humility, incredible joy, incredible faith, what worship, they are one and the same. Now Mary certainly had a unique honor, unlike any that we will have in I'm guessing if Gabriel likes to do a little bit of work and then rest for 500 years, he's probably not going to show up to you or to me. But that doesn't mean that the same promise can't be ours. It is, as we see it through Scripture. That the same response shouldn't be ours as we engage with God's promises. That we would respond with that same character and conviction Rejoice, for God is with you. He has poured out his grace upon you in Jesus. Jesus who rules and reigns forever. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of God will dwell within you. Very same promises are ours. Amazingly, as they were for Mary. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this incredible grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. That's through your faith. 
But it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of your works that no one may boast. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is your response? The gift is God's grace. It comes through faith. Some even see that as the gift. We're being given faith and we exercise faith. We respond with what has been given to us. It's not the amount of our faith, it's the object of our faith that we worship. It doesn't take a large amount of faith to walk forward this morning and receive communion. The object of your faith is greater than you can ever imagine. Come with the smallest amount of faith, even the faith that would pray, I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And even if the balance of those scales seems tipped pretty heavily in your mind and your heart to your unbelief, to the how can it be doubting side, as you come with the most meager amount of faith if it is, maybe it's exactly where you need to be for God to rebalance, recenter, to give in grace and faith, to refill, to renew, to build hope, but the lowly and least likely that the you and the me gathered here in this humble chapel on top of this little hill in this unremarkable little town in the course of history that will too fade. God sees us and is with us and is pursuing us with his amazing grace. These promises are ours. Will we respond like Mary with the same humility, with this joy, with this faith, with an invitation will we receive? What if we prayed like this, church? What if we prayed like this, not just this morning, but in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, in all of 2019 ahead? What if we prayed like this? Come upon us, Holy Spirit. Overshadow us with your power that we might become lesser, that you might become greater. Teach us to trust and rejoice in you, Jesus, even if it means scorn from this world. Dwell in us, Bless us, even if your blessings don't come with comfort and ease, for your glory and our joy. We are but your servants. May it be to us according to your word. Your grace is amazing. Your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. And I won't say amen because we need to continue to pray those prayers. I will invite the team to come and to lead us in response If you're newer to our community and our family, this is our regular rhythm. We come in from who knows what kind of week with how much or how little thoughts to the ways and will of the Lord in our life. But we're here. We've come. And so we begin to sing and be stirred. We begin to hear God's word proclaimed. We begin to be re-centered and rebalanced. We then open God's word to hear it in its fullness, every bit of it, even the hard stuff. We invite God to speak, to speak to our hearts, not just through a man, but through his spirit to each one. And then we create space to respond to that word if God has spoken. Before we run off to the next thing, we create a space that says, come Holy Spirit, come. Come, power of God and overpower, overshadow, that we would be less and you would be more. 
We come with our little bit of faith in these very same promises that his grace is enough. And may he be magnified through us. God uses what is weak and lowly to shame the wise. The light shines bright in the darkness. And so come to the table. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's elements here and in the back if that's closer to you. At any point, as we sing, as we respond, let that be one of your responses. Remember that Jesus broke bread, gave thanks, and shared with his disciples who knew not fully what he was about to do, nor did any really of the dots connect for them yet. And yet he invited them into communion. And what they did know was they wanted to be with him. And that they wanted to have him dwell within them. And so we come with that faith this morning. Let's respond and be his church and the team will lead us in praise. Join with Mary in her songs of praise with a humble, joyful, faithful obedience. Amen.